Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sons of the Republic. This is a uh, oh, podcast uh, 2.0 or 3.0, whatever. I keep having to kind of start over, but that's what happens. You know, a lot of things have, have happened over the past uh, couple of years. And uh, it's, it's one of those things I just sort of can't get away from. And I'll tell you, the reason is, is that... Um, I, it, it seems like people don't want to read all that much, and that kind of suits me because I don't want to write all that much. And that's kind of funny coming from me because when I sit down to write, uh, it doesn't take very long for 20 pages to pile up. And it just seems, you know, in the past it seemed easier if I did an audio recording, and that's never true because I screw it up and it takes me every bit as much time to do a single audio podcast as it does to write, you know, a hundred pages on a subject and all that other sort of thing. And I think, you know, I'm doomed. I'm just doomed no matter what I do. I am a stickler for details. I love to go down rabbit holes. I love to flush out ideas. And it's also probably my greatest weakness. It's something that, um, I just can't get away from it. it. It is who and what I am. And in in one way, it's good. And in another way, it's really, really awful. So there's kind of my intro to this. I've got a little bit of uh, Spirit Hound Straight Malt Whiskey, um, single barrel. So, you know, clearly nothing can possibly go wrong in all of this. It's a Sunday night. And we are going to talk about politics and religion. Actually, we're going to talk about politics and religion a lot. And that's a funny thing. That's a really funny thing because um, I am not religious. Well, there's rabbit hole number one. What does that even mean? Just to get all Jordan Peterson on you. And, and I, I swear to God... Uh, figure of speech, given that I don't believe in God, that that's like Jordan Peterson is my spirit animal. I I relate to that man very much, but I promise you, I won't I won't get as abstract as he does. Love what he does. But what are, we, what are we here to do? Let's talk about Sons of the Republic here just for a minute. So I started Sons of the Republic and I've done basically nothing with it because I basically work 12 to 16 hours a day and you know on any given day and I have no time for anything. Um, as a matter of fact, I've been wasting a huge amount of food because I'll go out on, say, a Sunday night. I'll buy a bunch of food saying, this is it. This week I clean it up. And then, you know, I get up at four in the morning, I stumble out the door, forget everything. And then the next thing you know, a week has gone by and all my food's gone bad. And, you know, it's just a mess. So, you know, that's why I haven't done anything with, with the website Sons of the Republic. But why did I start Sons of the Republic? I started it because, folks, we have a problem. Okay. Remember that movie Apollo 13, Houston, we've got a problem, which is something that was literally said by the astronauts of Apollo 13. 
Okay? We got a real big problem. And if you hadn't, oh, I don't know, gotten a little bit of an inkling of that lately, well, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I should probably declare my, my various biases. People will want to know, hey, well, is this guy, is he like a Democrat or a Republican? Yeah, neither, okay? Here's the deal. Most of, our, most of the American founders, they hated political parties. They saw them and knew them for what they were, which is special interest groups. And those special interest groups are antithetical to liberty and to the Constitution. So I refuse to have anything to do with political parties. I won't do it. And, you know, I'm sorry, but if, you, if you're sitting here right now today... And you're looking around and you say, oh, I'm a Republican. Really? How's that working out for you? That, is that working real well for the rule of law and the Constitution and all this other stuff? No, it isn't. Never has, by the way. And if you're a Democrat, same question to you. How's that working out for you? Because uh, it doesn't appear to be doing anyone any good unless you're, uh, I don't know, like George Soros or something like that. My political bias is what yours ought to be, which is I am sworn to support, defend, and preserve the Constitution of the United States of America. I am a strict, if you will, constitutionalist. That's it. Okay? That's it. I hate Republicans. I hate Democrats. I hate Democrats more, to be fair. Well, what about the Libertarian Party? The Libertarian Party is filled with a bunch of idiots and dopers that don't know anything about anything. That's what they are. And they prove it every day. It's, it is obscene what those people are, are, do and are about. And they're just, they are out there on some other planet. Not that Republicans and Democrats aren't. So then... Uh, so then people will probably be wondering, hey, uh, is Sons of the Republic, is that like an anti-government thing? <laughs> no. Not only no, but hell no. No, 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 no. Not in your life. I am profoundly pro-American constitutional government. And I'll talk about that later in um, religion and politics. Um, but let me give you my position on this, because there's a lot of psychological warfare. Um, if you don't know, it's in kind of the bio. I'm not, you know, I'm not putting my, my name out there. Some of you know who I am. Keep it to yourselves. Um, I did 20 years, a little more than that, in special operations, and let's just say related areas of endeavor. Um, I know rather a lot about unconventional warfare. I know a lot about insurgency, counterinsurgency, uh, intelligence operations, psychological operations, etc., etc. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt and the medals, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that doesn't make me an expert in civics. I had to do that all on my own. Nobody teaches you. You go in the military and they say, 
raise your right hand. I, so-and-so, do hereby swear, you know, support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, blah, blah, blah. You never once read the Constitution. You are never once given anything other than a five-minute class on what constitutes an unlawful order, which is not clear at all. And, um, and by the way, I've watched people... Um, refuse to obey unlawful orders and they are immediately shit canned out of the military if not thrown in the brig first so it's a corrupt system uh, within the military and that really needs to be cleaned up um, but the civics thing I had to teach myself civics and I've, I've endeavored to do that for well over a decade uh, closing in on 20 years although not terribly seriously until the last 10 years, in which case it's been really on hyper overdrive. Um, and I learn more and more every day. I mean, there's, while I'm driving to the job site, I'm in construction now. And, you know, when I'm driving to and from the job site, I'm doing nothing but civics, politics, religion. I mean, it's, it's nonstop. I fall asleep to this stuff. It's, it's really an unhealthy habit. But as I watch my country burn down around me, you know, I'm a little behind the power curve. And, and I'll throw out a caveat here as well. I'm not perfect. I'm never gonna be. And I'm gonna screw up, guys. I am gonna say some stuff that later I am going to retract. But here's what I'll promise you. I will retract it. I will correct it, okay? I may screw up. I will fix it when I become aware of it or when my position evolves because I have better intelligence and data to support that new position, all right? So, you know, with that out of the way. Now, uh, so as it comes to government, you know, is, is Soder, Sons of the Republic, is it, is it anti-government? No, it's, it's absolutely not. But here's, this is kind of the funny, weird interesting, tricky thing about this, you see, because um, we need to get some concepts straight. And one concept is, what is government? Okay, well, I mean, really sit down and think about it while I take a sip of whiskey here. God, that ought to be criminal. Just how good that is. My God. Mm gift from a client of mine. Anyway, whew, wow, what is government? What is government? I mean, if you were to point your finger to government, what would it be? The fact of the matter is, is that if, if every human on earth disappeared, the only thing that would represent government is some empty buildings and some pieces of paper. And so what government really is, is really there's, there's a twofold thing. There, there is the on-paper charter. In the United States of America, there is a, a, a compact. It is referred to as a compact, which is a contract. Okay, We have to understand a little bit about legal contract law, language, etc., especially from the, the, uh, the 1700s. It's a, a compact, which is a contract, and it is referred to as the Constitution of the United States of America because 
these are the written um, principles, ideas, concepts, the, the contractual agreements that constitute the federal national government of the lowercase now, United States of America. Now, why? Because they are united states, which are independent states. They're independent nations. You must understand that about the states. We'll talk about it another time. But you must understand that. It constitutes the federal government, which is a little bit of an oxymoron because the United States of America is a federal republic composed of federal republics, which are composed of federal republics. It's a little confusing. We'll talk about it another time, but understand that that's the deal. Now, when I examine the documents, the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, which was then replaced by the Constitution, amended by the Bill of Rights. When I look at those documents, I find those documents to be remarkably good. I find very little fault with those documents. There are one or two things that I think maybe maybe ought to be changed, but it's a difficult thing. It's a tough thing. You know, for example, term limits, okay? People talk about, oh, we got to have term limits. Got to have term limits. Yeah, can't let Lindsey Graham be in the Senate. Okay. I mean, hey, I get it. I get it. I hate Lindsey Graham. I'm right there with you. That dude is scum on so many levels. He represents everything that is wrong with our federal government. Uh, just kind of one question. Whose responsibility is it to either uh, re-elect him or elect somebody else so that his reign of terror doesn't continue in the Senate? Oh, it's the, it's, it's the people of South Carolina. So apparently the people of South Carolina think he's doing a bang-up job, or he's certainly not screwing it up enough to piss them off enough that they get rid of the guy. Now that's most unfortunate. And by the way, senators are not supposed to be elected by the popular election. They are supposed to be elected by the state legislatures. And we need to get back to that as soon as possible because that is one of the essential critical checks and balances of the original constitutional system that was devised um, for this country. And, and, and we've, we've done screwed it up in a pretty big way, and that needs to be fixed. We'll talk about that again. There's so much of this we'll talk about another time because I have other things I want to do uh, in this particular episode. Now, um, this was the whole idea, and, and you have to consider for a minute, let's say, Let's just juxtapose Lindsey Graham with Ron Paul. Now, I've studied Ron Paul quite a lot. 
I have voted for Ron Paul many times. I think that it was very wise for the people of Ron Paul's district to elect him to be in Congress for all of those decades because Ron Paul is one of the few actual champions of the Constitution. Now, that's a really good idea because if you have a guy who's doing a great bang-up job, why not keep him there until he screws it up? And then, well, I'm sorry, Ron, you got to go. Okay, well, as far as I could tell, Ron Paul never, never messed it up. Certainly not bad enough to, uh, to if I was in his district, to, to um, attract my dissension, if you will. And so this is part of why, um, why that's the case. Now, we, we did this to, in a couple of other ways. For example, you know, after uh, FDR was in there for four terms, um, you know, folks got together and said, hey, whoa, we can't allow that ever again. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of get it because FDR was one of the worst presidents we've ever had. He was awful. He was horrible. Now, that's saying something because we've had a lot of truly awful presidents. Truly awful. But he was one of the worst. He is right up. He is in the top five. And the thing that sucks about all of that, you know, when you take like, you know, for example, Woodrow Wilson, Theodore Roosevelt, um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, Obama, and you could really almost put Bush in there, uh, W. I feel so sorry for that guy. I'll, I'll tell some stories about W. I've got some stories about W. Um, in the future sometime. Because uh, W. W was a pawn. Very much so. And I have a lot of experience with uh, his cabinet during my military service. And, and I can tell you that George W. Bush and his wife, Laura, are very nice, caring people. But they're pawns in a political game. Um, I, and as nice as, George, as, as nice as George W. is, it's not smart enough to come up with all that stuff, you know. So anyway, I'm I'm going down a rabbit hole. Um, Obama was was, you know, uh, really you you've got. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt was horrible, and he's responsible for so many of the problems that we have today. But you know, you've got this trifecta from hell, which is uh, Woodrow Wilson, FDR, and Obama. My God, just evil. Truly evil, horrible, awful presidents. And so I understand the angst, you know, hey, you know, we don't want FDR, another FDR like that, whatever. Well, but, but on the other hand, if it was George Washington, would, you know, or Thomas Jefferson, these guys were great presidents. Why not elect them four, five, six times if they're doing an amazing job? Why not? It's up to the people to decide. 
So what I'm saying is, you know, when I look through all of this, you know, you can say, oh, yeah, there's got to be term limits. And, I, and, and I'm right there with you. But as far as the, you know, it just, it's like, boy, on further introspection and learning and reading, when you read the founders, um, all of their letters, their correspondence, the documents, the Federalist, Anti-Federalist papers, the, you know, the debates on the Constitution. I've got a wonderful book about that. It's just, oh, I mean, it's, it's captivating to read. Um, you know, those, those opinions that I formulated where I'm like, yeah, hey, we got to get rid of this. You know, this, this would be a really good um, thing to... Um, a really good thing to, to get rid of or to alter or change with some introspection... I, I tend to change my mind on it. So the documents are, are outstanding, um, truly, truly outstanding. And that's, and so now we get to the thing where it's like, okay, well, you know, we're answering the question, is Sons of the Republic anti-government? And it's like, no, because when I look at, at, at the documents that constitute our government, that lay it out, to me, they're as perfect as anything I've ever seen in my life. And for all the right reasons, and they, they check all the blocks, right? You know, it's moral, it's just, it's lawful, it's, you know, it, it, it's all of these things. And I'm like, okay, great. So what am I against when it comes to government? Well, I'm against the, the people in government who have subverted the, the Constitution, who have gone above and beyond the powers and authorities granted to them by the Constitution, whether of the state or the, or the, uh, the, the nation, and are using that to oppress the people. Now, it's a simple solution. All you have to do is vote them out. I don't care if it's your, your town clerk the mayor or the president of the United States or Nancy Pelosi, you just vote them out. Well, the argument for voting them out is where it gets really complicated because there's a certain body of information and, and kind of a, 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 a code to live your life by as an American citizen and a good human being that if you are divorced from that, and if you have bought into clientelism, which is what destroyed the Roman Empire, um, which is to say, oh, you know, Nancy Pelosi said that if she gets reelected, they're, they're going to do this. Oh, shut up. No, they're not. I mean, you just, you're so stupid. You keep falling for that over and over and over again. I mean, it's just, it's mind blowing. You know, and then again, like I said, this is not a Republican or Democrat thing. They're all evil crooks. Every single damn one of them. So, I mean, you know, we've got to get back to that. Well, I, and I don't want to scare anyone. I'm leading into something here. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, here he goes. Here we go with religion. Oh, okay, so let's answer that question. What's my religious affiliation? 
What are my beliefs? Yada, yada, yada. Well, it ought to comfort you to know that, you know, when it comes to beliefs in the so-called religious realm, I most closely identify with Buddhism, especially Zen Buddhism. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I was a special operations soldier and um, in my research on this subject, it you know, I came across the fact that Zen Buddhism was the preferred religion of the samurai during times of war for a number of reasons. I I won't go into that whole thing. But I've been a student of of history my entire life. I've always been fascinated with it. Um, And I've always been a student of religion. I've always been fascinated with that. Um, And I will tell you that I have a distinct bias against Christianity, um, especially, especially Catholicism. But the the problem that that I have is, you know, that most people, they don't know really anymore what the difference is between Catholic and Protestant, for example, or Orthodox Christianity. And even, you know, this was also a problem, by the way, back in the old days, because you had um, um, the founders talking about Orthodox Christianity in their, in their letters, in their writings and whatnot. But they weren't talking about, for example, Greek and Russian Orthodox Christianity. They were talking about Catholicism and Anglicanism and... Uh, you know, it, it's just, it's a linguistic thing. I I got uh, really schooled on that by having a Russian girlfriend back in the day. Um, got really schooled on that. Anyway, another story for another time, as ever. Um, so, I, I am hostile to organized religion. Um, I, am, I am very much uh, hostile to... Uh, um, to all of that, that sort of thing. Um, and yet at the same time, I understand Christianity probably better than most people. And I understand Protestantism better than most people. And I, I have a family history of this um, that is quite entertaining and interesting as much as it was terrifying to the folks living through it back in the day. So... So there's that. So now I wanted to talk a wee bit about religion um, and the role that it did and didn't play in the founding of the United States of America. So the first thing that you must understand as I take a sip of this fine, fine American whiskey Again, that really should be illegal. Oh my. So, let me also say that my bias in all things is to the truth. And I told you that I would screw up. 
and I will, and I have, um, often throughout my life. And, and that's just a fact. We all do it. And, you know, if you don't learn from your mistakes, that's the problem. It's not the mistakes themselves. But um, I need to also inform you that my bias is to, um, to truth. And so anytime that I am researching, I try to get as many sides of the story as I can. And I am always prepared to be wrong. I am expecting to be wrong uh, because I have been wrong so many times when I thought that I was right. And so um, you have to understand I'm not scared or averse to that. And this has actually been very enlightening to me because it has been that, that determined pursuit of truth that has brought me to figure out what I have figured out about the founding of the United States, because there is this huge debate over whether or not the United States was founded um, on Christian principles. Is it a Christian nation? And, you know, and, and you've got people on both sides, you know, they're why, of course it is. Look at all the times that they referenced God. And, you know, and then you've got people on the other side, like, not a chance in hell and, you know, natural law and this, you know. And, and I find, even though I've read some articles that were really fantastic, at the end of the day, I always come away disappointed because they've gone, they've walked into it with bias and they've written their articles to support that bias. And this is really evident when you start digging into the truth. And as a guy who is very close to being an atheist, let me just say that my concept of God, you would probably not recognize. And maybe someday I'll talk about it in greater depth, but not today. It's certainly not Skyman God of, of Christianity, Judaism, and so on and so forth. And anyway. So the simple fact of the matter is that you cannot separate the British colonies of North America, the revolution movement, the formation of and, and the formation of the United States of America as a nation, you cannot separate that from religion. No matter how hard you try, no honest person can do that. Now, for the Christians jumping up and down and rejoicing, you might want to sit down because it's a hell of a lot more complicated than that. Because the fact of the matter is, bottom line up front, this country was very specifically designed not to be founded on Christian principles and founded to not be a Christian nation specifically. It was very specifically designed to be a safe harbor for any and all religions within the confinement of natural law, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Now, 
Let's talk about the religiosity, if you will, that may not even be the right term, of the people. You cannot deny that the people of the British colonies of North America were not deeply religious. Predominantly, overwhelmingly, they were Protestant, which, by the way, is spelled Protestant, which comes from the Protestant Reformation, which was the equivalent of multiple nuclear bombs exploding in Europe when Martin Luther posted his 95 grievances against the Catholic Church in 1517, uh, I believe in Nuremberg or in that area, could be wrong, don't quote me on that, followed up, I do know the dates though, followed up in the 1530s with um, the publication of the Bible uh, in German, which was the first time that the Bible had been printed not in Latin. So the whole joke about Catholics not being, you know, not reading the Bible was a practical one because nobody spoke or read Latin except the clergy and the aristocracy. So only the cool kids knew what the hell it said and everyone else didn't. Well, when that happened, well, a very long series of continuous wars occurred in which millions, tens of millions of people died. And, you know, in around 1648, you had the Treaty of Westphalia that was supposed to put an end to the religious wars. But if you read any of the accounts of people that were involved in subsequent wars, they're like, yes, this is over territory and power and to, to check the French and whatever. But it's like the very next words were those bastard Catholics or those awful Protestants. You know, it's like they were all religious wars. You know, now, you can flip that around. They were ultimately wars of conquest and land and resources and territory in the uh, name of religion after, the, after 1517. Um, and, and then they just sort of went back to normal, but also religion. You know, it was just like another reason. And the thing is, is that after the Protestant Reformation, people felt very strongly about this because you have to remember, at this point in history, the Catholic Church had been lying to people and manipulating people and destroying humanity for, you know, about 15 centuries, a little bit less at that time, um, by the time the founders were talking about it. I, I don't remember which one. It may have been John Adams, but um, one of them remarked that... Uh, yeah, Christianity, <laughs> you know, 15 centuries and uh, they've never gotten it right, you know. Yeah, you know, why? Because, you know, Roman, Catholic, Roman. If you know anything about religion, you understand Christianity, as we know it today, was started by Rome, okay? There were hundreds and hundreds of different sects of Christianity they literally went around and killed all those people and took the one sect of it and said, this is it, twisted it around a whole bunch of different ways and rolled with it, uh, which, anyway, I, one of these days I'll do a long extended uh, examination of that. But 
let's just say the people were less than amused and a lot of clergy died. And then there were a lot of wars and a lot of other people died. Now, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about Protestants and wars and whatever. Um, the Catholic Church was so bad, so awful, and, and after the Protestant Reformation kicks off, they literally waged war against anyone that wasn't Catholic on every possible level, strategic and tactical. Now, my family has a history of that. I have uh, some ancestors, one in particular, when things were getting real bad. He was a, uh, a, a Presbyterian uh, pastor and in, uh, in northern Scotland, and he would walk to church with an unsheathed claymore sword over his right shoulder. And the reason for that was that while he was walking through town, assassins would run out of the alleys and try to kill him. Now, you see, the local bishop had a thing for anyone running a church that wasn't Catholic. And so he was constantly sending people to kill and or kidnap these people. So my ancestor, Donald, killed a lot of Catholic assassins. And there are a couple of stories that are actually quite hysterical, they ended up being able to achieve a level of peace between them um, when Donald didn't kill a bunch of guys that he sent to his house in the dead of night uh, to kidnap him. He outsmarted them, the bunch of drunks that they were, um, interestingly enough. Um, that's another story for another time. Ask me sometime over a little whiskey and uh, I'll tell you more about it. But that's what the Catholic Church was doing. You have to understand, this is in every corner. So you're in England, Scotland, Ireland, whatever. It doesn't matter where you are. And you're like, you know, Denmark, Germany, whatever. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a Protestant. I'm a Lutheran, whatever. There were assassins trying to kill you on that very personal level. And then the Catholic Church is leveraging their allies to invade your country. And this is, I mean, it was just absolute effing insanity. You've got to understand that. Absolute effing insanity. Try not to swear on these. Trying to clean up my act a little bit. Not sure that the Scottish heritage or the whiskey is helping. So, when it came to these wars, a fair amount of it was supported by the people. You know, one of the stories that I like to tell, one of these days I'll publish, there's, uh, there are many, many accounts <clears throat> from colonial America. Um, there was one in particular uh, in New Hampshire that has always captivated my imagination, where you have a mother whose, whose son has been captured by Indians allied with the French, and um, she is writing in her diary that she hopes that they kill him, even if it's in the most savage way possible, because she does not want her son to be in the captivity of the Catholics, especially the Jesuits. It's a whole other story right there. Maybe you should look into that on your own. 
So I'm telling you this because it's important. And, and the importance of it is that we're in a, not we, sorry. The colonists are in a situation where they're coming out of over a thousand years of feudalism and lies and manipulations and whatnot. And now there have been these wars that have killed tens of millions of, of people in Europe and worldwide, for that matter. And it just never really ends, right? But when it comes to religion, the interesting thing about Christianity, see, I'll, I'll be the first one to jump up and down and point to all of its faults and inadequacies and inaccuracies and the lies and the plagiarism and everything else. I mean, it's really, I mean, on the one hand, it's, it is despicable, absolutely despicable. It, it sickens me. The, the, the whole story there, uh, you know, but the, you know, then, I mean, if you, if you investigate Rome, I mean, you can get caught up in the, oh, you know, Julius Caesar did this and Pompey did that and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, at the end of the day, those people were bastards, absolute evil bastards. The things that they did um, were just awful and, and creating this religion and the, and and the culture within the, the, the Catholic Church has always been, and still to this day, is unbelievably toxic. Now, when the Protestant Reformation came along uh, in 1517 and really got, you know, majorly kick-started in, in 1534, when you had these people that broke away and started their own thing. You know, you had the Calvinists, the Lutherans, the Baptists, the Anabaptists, the Presbyterians, uh, at some point the Anglicans, you know, which was the Church of England, Henry VIII, all that fun stuff. We'll tell that story another time. It's fairly hysterical. Um, you had all of these different sects, you know, kick off and, and do their own thing. And the number one thing that all of these uh, sects of Christianity did, or really, this is where the Russians set me straight. They're like, no, no, that's Catholic. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, look at the history. They're like, we're Orthodox Christian, and those are sects of Catholicism. And I was like, oh, it's a good point, actually. It's interesting, you know, but they're so radically different that it's kind of hard to say that they are, but I understand the Russian perspective and, and the Greek perspective. I get it. I get it. That's neither here nor there per se, but, but the Protestants rejected the institution of the church. The institution of the church was this big mothership and you had to play by their rules. You know, it was like the, the religious DMV, you got, you got to go get your license, pay your dues, you know, all this other crap. And they rejected that outright. They said, we are not ever going to allow anyone to control what we think. They said, we have this book that we've always believed in. 
we've always believed in Jesus Christ and in the existence of the Christian God, and, and we are familiar enough with the stories, uh, albeit, you know, so many of them corrupted by various lies and whatnot. They said, we will never again place our religion in the hands of someone who is above us. We will tend to our religious studies ourselves. And as such, for example, even today, I could just simply say, hey, I'm opening up my own Protestant church and I'm a, I'm a pastor. I don't need to be, you know, ordained or licensed or certified or whatever. I just need to read the Bible, have a good interpretation of it, and then rock and roll. Now, of course, there's been a lot of um, religious folks that, uh, scholars, for example, that have kind of laughed and scoffed at this because they say, well, yeah, by the time Protestantism subdivides down into all of that, then there'll be nothing left of it. And that is more or less what happened. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, we're not here to discuss the demise of religion in the United States. We're here to discuss um, the impact that it had on the founding. The thing that you've got to understand is that within Protestantism, and, and you know, it's like, well, where do the lines where are the lines between Calvinism and Lutheranism and Protestantism? They're all kind of considered to be Protestant because they were Protestant, Protestant, protesting of the Catholic Church. So, whatever. Um, certainly, Calvinist, uh, named for John Calvin, uh, a funny name for an Italian, isn't it? Um, he was kind of a radical. But the Calvinists were, were big supporters of, uh, of independence and revolution and all that fun stuff. But I, I, I get ahead of myself. The key point that you must take away is that over 90% of the colonists in North America were Protestants. And the Protestant religion had, for lack of a better term, a doctrine that said, we do religion ourselves. Religion is... Um, it, so, when you look at the pillars of society, when it comes to civic institutions, the church was a civic institution, meaning of the people, except that it wasn't. And what Protestantism did was it ensured that religion was a true civic institution, meaning of the people, meaning that nobody had control from above of it. You must understand that concept. And the reason is because when it came to the formation of the United States of America, the question of whether or not the United States of America, the federal government, the form of government, should be theocratic, should be based on Christianity, as so many countries in Europe were, the issue came up not at all. It never came up. 
They never even considered it. And that's confusing to a lot of people because some of the founders were deeply, deeply religious. And you had others that were like Jefferson. Um, you know, Jefferson was uh, uh, probably a Freemason. Uh, he was absolutely a deist, um, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, I mean, really kind of more of an atheist than anything. Um, certainly a free spirit, this, that, and the other thing. You had kind of this wide, this wide array. And, you know, there's a story about the first day of the, of the Continental Congress. The story goes that they could not even begin the meeting because they could not agree on an invocation prayer. And so they went out and got drunk and found a, you know, for all intents and purposes, a, a, a pastor who was non-denominational enough who crafted a prayer, who they were all like, yeah, yeah, good enough, cool. You know, that's fine. Doesn't upset my religious sensibilities. And so day two, hungover, they were able to begin the Continental Congress. And so you would think, well, okay, well, that, that I mean, wouldn't they be arguing about which sect of Christianity or Protestantism, this whole thing? No, it was never even mentioned. It was never even mentioned. The way that the founders looked at the issue was from two points of view, especially when it came to the Continental, uh, or I'm sorry, the Constitutional Convention. So for those of you that don't know, uh, we declared our independence um, in 1776, which was um, honestly, it was, it was a little over a full year from the beginning of the war. The war began uh, on the 19th of April, 1775, when the British marched on Lexington and Concord. Um, that didn't go so well. One of these days, I'll do a, an episode on that. And what happened next, of course, was uh, the, the, the colonists chased the British into Boston, laid siege to Boston, Battle of Bunker Hill happens, blah, 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 game on, the war is on, moving forward, you know. But you see, the, the colonists wanted some reconciliation. They didn't want to leave Britain. They were looking for reconciliation. And so they were holding out, hoping, hey, 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 we can defuse this. And then when it became obvious they couldn't, then they declared their independence in 1776. And, you know, eight years later, uh, the war ends and they are operating as independent nations, just like England, uh, France, Germany, etc. You know, uh, today or before the European Union crap, um, under what was called the Articles of Confederation, and the Articles of Confederation were this this loosey goosey uh, agreement. There was technically a federal government, but it had absolutely no power whatsoever, and the states ran absolutely roughshod over it. It was so bad that there were no less than three states that were literally preparing for war. Shots had been fired. The states were going to war with each other. And they were, you know, they, they, um, it was James Madison who was able to trick the delegates. They were lured to Philadelphia on false pretenses. And once they were there, it was like, ha, bastards, we got you now. 
this is what we're really going to do. And they hammered out the Constitution, which gave the federal government more teeth, okay? More ability to actually, for lack of a better term, govern in a limited manner, govern the states so that they wouldn't be screwing each other over and going to war, et cetera, et cetera. Which was a bad deal because, you know, the British were not exactly super happy about losing the colonies and they were more than willing to come back in. As a matter of fact, they were waiting for exactly this to happen so that they could walk back in and say, that told you, you dumb you idiots couldn't handle this. Well, we're back and we're in charge. Now we're going to do it our way. So, the Constitutional Convention saved that. Now, not all the states were cool with the Constitution the way, it had, the way it was written in the end. And it required all of the states to ratify it. And so what happened was you had a period of time where there was a furious debate in the papers. And <coughs> excuse me, the people in the states voted democratically if you will, I hate that term, but if you will, um, on whether or not each state should ratify uh, this constitution. And what you had uh, was a series of basically opinion pieces, editorials, etc., that were published throughout the colonies, usually anonymously, um, most of the time by the, the framers of the constitution, writing under pen names so that they would, you know, if someone didn't like them, they wouldn't say, oh, I hate that Jefferson guy, you know. Um, and so he would write under, you know, under a, a, a pen name, some, you know, as someone else. Not unlike what I'm doing right now. And these were called the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist Papers after the fact. Now, the Federalists supported the Constitution. And they are really kind of the more popular papers that people refer to, but the anti-federalist papers were every bit as important uh, because these were the folks that were against the Constitution. And believe me, there was not just a little bit of opposition to the Constitution. There was a lot of it because these, these people and states rightfully felt that this was going to destroy their state sovereignty. And that was and is a very real concern, and it reared its very ugly head in the American Civil War beginning in 1860, um, which is another one of those very complicated affairs. Now, in the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers, there was, as a matter of fact, reference to God and religion. But not quite the way you might think it did. In the Federalist Papers, the pro-Constitution, the writers said that, listen, we've got to have this Constitution because with the, these new powers given to the federal government uh, and, and the mandate therein, um, the federal government will protect our religion. They will not allow anyone to come in, especially those damn Catholics, which were referenced, 
and take our religion from us or control our religion or do things like, well, hey, I'm a Protestant king, and so guess what? We're going to have a war against the Catholics. Wait, well, what? We're going to, no. You know, they, they didn't, you know, so, uh, so at any rate, they, they, the Federalists wanted the new government under the Constitution, so, you know, specifically so that they could protect the, the, the religion of the people, and specifically the freedom of religion. You know, they weren't saying just the Protestants, they were saying everyone. The anti-federalists said, are you out of your mind? With a federal government with this much power, these bastards can take over our religion and start telling us what to do and what to believe and how to practice, where to practice, where to worship, this, that, and the other thing. Like, this is a disaster. Neither one of those positions is theocratic. Neither one of those is saying this government will be um, religiously oriented based on Christian values. None of this is saying that, um, saying what, what the evangelicals today, or even a lot of the Catholics are saying, who are trying to create a theocracy. I was horrified some years ago to watch a man who I considered to be an absolute idiot and enemy of the Constitution, Mike Huckabee. In a debate, he was asked point blank, do you think that the Constitution should be rewritten in accordance with the Bible? And he said, oh yes, absolutely. And went on for his allotted minute about why that was. I'm sorry, but uh, that kind of tarnished anyone with the name Huckabee for me for life. Because that's insane. That's anti-American. That's anti-Constitution. So I'll have none of it. And I will oppose it at every turn. So now this is all probably very confusing to people. Because, and I'll, I promise I'll wrap it up now. Because the issue that most people have is that they've been brainwashed. And they don't understand the way that people thought back then. I, and, I, and I do believe that I do have a, a better than average grasp of how people thought back then. And there's a couple of things that really stand out to me and that are just unbelievably critical and important to me when it comes to religion and the founding of this country. The first is, is that the lesson of the Protestant Reformation um, applies every bit as much to uh, politics as it does religion. You must never allow someone to be above you and to control your thoughts, your beliefs, etc. when it comes to religion. The path that you walk is an individual one. Even if you declare yourself to be the most devout Protestant uh, Christian in the world, it still ultimately comes down to you reading the Bible and discerning things um, in the best way that you know how. Another time, I guess, I'll, well, you know, if you'll, if you'll humor me, I, I have... Uh, one, uh, there, there's a couple of things that you have to understand 
about things uh, back then. For example, at the time of the revolution and throughout the 1700s, there were three definitions of religion in the Bible. I'm sorry, in the uh, three definitions of religion in the dictionaries. It's, it's getting late, sorry. So let's look at those. The first one I will tell you right now is the Protestant definition. Religion is defined to be a general habit of reverence toward the divine nature by which we are both enabled and inclined to worship and serve God after that manner which we conceive to be most agreeable to his will, so that we may procure his favor and blessing. That's the Protestant. The second definition is revealed religion, which is the Catholic definition. Revealed religion is what God has obliged us to perform by the manifestation of his will upon the consideration of temporal or future rewards and punishments, the parts of revealed religion are faith and practice. And I read it that way because that's the way the Catholic Church treated it. And oh, by the way, you don't decide. I tell you how to do this. Which, of course, is no bueno. But there's a third definition, ladies and gentlemen. Natural religion is what men might know and be obliged to by mere principles of reason, improved by consideration and experience without the assistance of divine revelation. Now, that's natural law for those of you that are unfamiliar. But I want to bring one more definition into this, and let, let me see if I can... Yeah, here we go. Because things get jumbled up because they're a little complicated in the colonies and in Europe, because this is the Enlightenment era which is, by the way, a pretty liberal kind of thing. But, you know, good liberal, classical liberal. So where things get really complicated for people when they're trying to figure out, for example, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, etc. Um, Patrick Henry, for example, um, I believe it was, mm, no, not Patrick Henry. I'm so sorry. Uh, and there was another one. I, I just read a letter from his wife when he died that was written to Thomas Jefferson because Jefferson was unable to attend the funeral and she was talking about deism. Um, so now I've given it away. Uh, many of the founders, uh, like Washington and Jefferson, were deists even though they were also uh, declared themselves to be one uh, denomination or another 
uh, of Christianity or Protestantism. Um, now, deism confuses people a great deal. And, but, but you have to understand that deism played a huge role in this. Now, when you look in the same dictionaries from the 17, uh, 1700s, and you look at, at deism, um, deism is defined as, as uh, those who, denying all revealed religion, acknowledge only the natural, viz. the existence of God, his providence, virtue and vice, the immortality of the soul, and rewards and punishments after death. Now, deists also were hyper-focused on morality. And you have to understand that what natural religion is, is natural moral law. And so what you had was guys like, like Jefferson and, and Washington who had this hybrid belief system and, and the things that they studied in life. And those things didn't match what you and I think of when we think Christianity or religion or secularism. It was a hybrid. And deism, both deism and uh, natural religion were hyper-focused on the issues of morality. But the other, one of the other key components of deism was a very, I think, logical and common sense observation. And, and what that was, was they said, oh, we believe in God. But all of the evidence says that he created this and he stopped interacting with people hundreds, thousands of years ago, and moved on. So here's the deal. We can't count on this higher authority. I mean, we can sit here and say, it makes sense rationally that um, this God exists, that uh, he created the world, that, you know, this, that, and the other thing, blah, 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 blah. But you can't count on him. He's not coming in, talking to David, saying, yo, man, go around the left side of this hill if you want to kill those guys. You know, he's not doing that anymore. He's not checking in. And as much as the priests and whatever, the bishops and the pope says, oh, I'm the direct representative, bull. That's obviously not happening. It's up to us. And it's up to us to figure out what these laws of nature are that God set in place. And to live by them, because all of the evidence says that the ones that we do know, if you do live by those things, then that is your greatest chance of success. And the other thing we know is that if you don't do it, if you do, if you do the opposite every time, that goes badly for you. And so you have this hybrid thing. And at the end of the day, the founders, in order to protect their Protestant faith and to make the United States of America a safe harbor for all religions, which they celebrated after this was all successfully passed and ratified, they chose objectively a higher rational 
objective standard of natural law, of natural religion, informed by deism that said, you're on your own. He's not going to help you. You have to solve your own problems at the lowest level, by the way. And the same rules that applied to religion applied to the formation of government, which was that you must never allow anyone to have any more power and authority than you and I have right now. Because history shows us, rationality, logical examination of the facts, shows us that even if the founding documents and the Bible are infallible, men are not. Men are horribly and wildly corrupt and often evil when given power. And it is our responsibility to control them. Now, you don't necessarily find those roots, those concepts, those axioms in Christianity specifically. You can pull them out with enough study and interpretation and so on and so forth. But natural law, in natural law, in natural religion, those things are right up front, right smack dab in your face. They're not a loose collection. It's raw, it's hard, it's cold, it's surgical, it's scientific. And it's compatible. That's so very important. It's compatible with the general, as, as the founders often spoke, of the, quote, general principles of Christianity, unquote. Natural religion, natural law, natural moral law is compatible 100%. Christianity is not necessarily reciprocally compatible anywhere to the degree, you know, moving in the other direction with natural law. So it works. Natural law is the higher, colder, scientific, rational, objective, repeatable standard upon which this nation was founded in order to protect the religious liberties of the people. And that, my friends, is the truth of the founding of the United States of America in regards to Christianity and natural law. One final note on that, and let me see if I can refer to something that I've, that I've written. Um, One of the other critical elements that is in the, the deist, natural law, natural religion camp 
is the fact that because natural law is so cold and scientific and objective, there is no wiggle room in it. It's not the way it works. With religion, you can say, well, here's a law that I have passed or, as the king said, is the law because I'm the king. And I'm using this passage in scripture to justify this. Now, because the Bible is written in parables and allegory and so on and so forth, the only thing that it, it, it can't ever be taken literally. That's very important to understand. Literalists are, are really, in my opinion, some of the dimmest witted people on the planet. I mean, they tell you, you know, it's right in the Bible. Uh, I don't remember exactly where I can dig it up later. You know, it says, hey, listen, this, this is all allegory and parable. And if you can't figure it out, you're going to be really lost. So here we go. It's right there. Okay. <laughs> Literalism is, is, is antithetical to Christianity. Anyway. The fact of the matter is, is that this then opens up the possibility for infinite interpretations and challenges. And so there is no objective standard by which to measure the legitimacy of a law. Laws are then arbitrary and capricious. Capricious meaning unpredictable. And that's not good. It's, it's evil. It's immoral. It's, not, it, it's a negative thing. And so, by using natural law, natural religion, as the basis of the foundation and the founding principles of this country, we have a rational, objective standard by which to measure laws. And so, the founders were quite specific and confident in saying things like, any law that is antithetical to the Constitution is null and void. The trick is, if you don't understand natural law, you don't know what that means. You could have a law that literally violates the Constitution in a very literal way. You can also have a law that's kind of sneaky that violates the Constitution because it violates natural law violates your natural rights, which is a subject we'll talk about another time, that also is antithetical to the Constitution, and you have a personal duty and responsibility to resist it with everything you've got. You can't get that if you are relying on Christianity or any religion any Abrahamic religion, for sure, as the basis of laws. That was one of the problems that always existed in Europe as a result of Christianity. So, there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for putting up with me for all this time. I hope that that was informative. If it was, and you got something out of it, please, please share it with uh, all your friends. Um, Hopefully, I haven't uh, lost your, uh, your, your, your trust and your patronage. 
And um, I look forward to uh, talking to you again very soon. Thank you so much. Have a good night.